In recent years, life coaches have acquired a considerable presence in the mainstream, and according to the International Coaching Federation's 2020 report, the number of life coaches has increased by 33% from 2015 to 2019. That's pre-pandemic. This same report explains that in North America, looking at it generationally, the majority who enlist life coaches are baby boomers at 53%, 39% are Gen Xers, and 5% are millennials. Indeed, a growing number of creatives, executives, and entrepreneurs are now teaming up with life coaches to attain success not only in their professional lives, but their personal ones as well. They frequently pair up with coaches to work through barriers that may interfere with finding the life they want. This may take shape by having a coach identify their passion or carving out their ideal career path. Pamela Pritchard Cheneau, she successfully spent over a decade in recruitment, in HR, in account management and sales, but like many of the professionals that she now helps, she found herself in the same position, meeting and exceeding career and financial goals, then finding herself burnt out and wondering if this was all there was to life. Well, she did find there was more, and today she's a life coach and founder of Coaching with Pamela. The journey she took is very relatable, but I think what we found out from her is that just because we followed a path doesn't mean it's written. The pages of your life are filling, but they aren't full yet. Sure, the ink has dried on yesterday and the days before that, but there's still plenty of pages left in this story. Along the way, Pamela and I have some pretty deep exchanges about her story, a little bit of mine, and we talk about healthy boundaries and get into how feminine and masculine energies have not much to do with gender, but more with balance. Anyway, uh, find out for yourself because it was a great conversation and I definitely learned so much from Pamela and I know you will too. So I hope you enjoy the Pamela Pritchard with Jay Burke show. Hello and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. This is a place for curious minds who enjoy civil and sometimes meandering conversation. If you appreciate a few laughs or want to come away with new knowledge or a simple understanding of subjects that aren't always easy to break down, you're the person I want listening to this podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Pamela Pritchard. Pamela is an ICF certified life coach who empowers ambitious professionals and business owners to create a life of fulfillment and impact by activating their soul-led purpose. Pamela, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I actually went on your site a little bit and then I was reading some of your Medium articles, so I'm kind of familiar with some of what you're talking about. And I know we wanted to get into setting healthy boundaries, finding your purpose. And then I wanted to kind of get into feminine and masculine energies. But I think it would be helpful to start out by telling us how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. So I'm a life coach and I currently work with professionals and business owners and professionals who want to be business owners, but are maybe still in their corporate career. And I got there because it was basically the journey that I went on myself. I became a coach two years ago now. I previously had a corporate career in recruitment, human resources, and sales. And my journey was that I found after like 10 years in a, in a pretty successful career in London um, that I just it wasn't really doing it for me anymore. I'd hit some personal goals, hit a couple of financial milestones. And after a couple of years in London, you, and during the pandemic as well, you kind of realize where your priorities are and what really lights you up. This story is not overly glamorous. It's just, I think, something that a lot of people can relate to. And 
I actually went through a career change myself. So I was originally in recruitment and HR and I left that world to go into client relationship management and sales, selling to HR professionals. And it was in that transition that I ended up leaving the, I guess, the one-to-one connection um, and working with people on a personal basis. It became very business to business. Obviously, I still dealt with real humans, but the topic was about them as a HR professional, as a representative of their business, not about them personally looking for a job, looking for advancement, looking for more career fulfillment. So when I made that career transition, I ended up starting at the time what I thought would just be a side hustle. And I started offering job search services. So CV writing, interview preparation, salary negotiation support. And then the more I was meeting people in that capacity, the more the conversation wasn't so much about how do I get a new job? It was like, how do I find fulfillment? How do I find my purpose? Who am I meant to be? What is my reason for getting out of bed in the morning? And that, I guess, existential question started to trigger something in me that was curiosity, um, spiritual intrigue about, okay, well, it's a really good question. Like, why are we here? What are we doing? What is the purpose of all of this? And I think a lot of people go through that in their anything from like quarter to midlife crisis. You you go through the motions, you get an education, you get a job, you tick the boxes, um, maybe you settle down, maybe you like get a dog, maybe you get a house or at least a, a rental commitment. And after a while, you're like, okay, well, I've had at least 10 years of partying when I want and eating what I want and drinking what I want and dating who I want and maybe I've met someone or not and I found a place I want to live but like why what is all this for so as I was developing in my new career as client relationship management and sales I was also building the side hustle and it led me into life coaching and then a couple of months later the pandemic hit and those questions that were just I guess only certain people were really exploring um, became a question on everybody's mind. Like, well, if I can't go out and I can't go to the pub and I can't party and I can't see my friends and I can't see my family, I can't leave my house, then what, what am I doing? (laughs) Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? And so I ended up building the business for two years um, side by side. And then about 18 months later, I ended up quitting my corporate career and going all in on my business. And now I'm a business owner, I'm traveling, I've left London, I'm currently in New Zealand. And I get to live where I want, I get to support other people in helping them figure out their purpose, helping them build their own businesses, helping them to achieve their own goals. And it's pretty incredible work. So that's my journey. I've seen where you are on Instagram, and I'm kind of jealous. (laughs) I've seen your view from the porch. Yeah, you kind of beat me to the punch because I was going to say something about I think the pandemic caused a lot of people to look inward at what life was about. And I also agree with you. I I think I definitely at 25 was kind of questioning my life. And then, you know, at 40 in your 40s or wherever you start doing it again. But I think the pandemic really, really pushed a lot of people. It was it was like a pause. So when everybody stopped hustling all at once or just going through the motions, it, it just set off something. And I think we're in the middle of a, a sea change of sorts with that. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. Now, did that that push you, do you think? Do you think you would have been here without that? I was definitely already on the journey. There's been a few things that I've been able to create that some people have actively shied away from, um, such as traveling. That, especially since the pandemic, is something that a lot of people just automatically decided to strike through and give up on. And that was something that actually spurred me to go like all systems ahead. And so that was in direct contrast to, I think, what most people thought was possible. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely... It's interesting because a lot of people say like, oh, is it in person or is it online? And it's given me uh, the flexibility to be online. My clients are in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, America. They vary, they're global. And so I'm not restricted by location. And 
I'd say the pandemic in a lot of ways has opened up the opportunity for that. For a lot of people, they're, they're realising that the world is connected. We do have access not just to the news, but to services, to opportunities to broaden, broaden her horizons. So that's definitely something that I've I've not known any different because my business started just before the pandemic began. So I think I've benefited from that because that's just the way the world is going anyway. Luckily, I was working internationally before. So a lot of my client interactions have been online anyway. So it's something I was moving towards, but I was acutely aware not a lot of people were embracing as much. Whereas now, I think people just find it normal. I would agree with that. Because I remember, you know, it was, it was, there were so many quirks you had to work out. But once you got there, it was, you know, it's not the same. For myself, I don't mind going into the office maybe a couple of days a week. I don't want to do it five days a week, though, anymore. I don't want to grind it out. There's just such a balance to life that you get being able to work remotely or wherever you are. And I think you'll see probably a lot more travel as, as things are opening up or, or maybe we're seeing more now with, yeah, uh, with everything. Definitely. I know as people online are traveling more, they're working their job and they're all over the place, but. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what you said about balance is really interesting because especially when home life and your professional life is blurred. Yeah. And if you add in the mix anyone that is building a side hustle or building a business on the side or in that in-between period of the business is thriving and they haven't quite left their corporate job job yet. It's not so much balance, but integration because you never really switch off from the things that you're really passionate about. And if you're lucky enough to have a passion that you're working on in your spare time, some some of the challenges that clients come to me about is that they struggle to be present with especially their nine to five and their corporate job because I say corporate job that's a catch rule you may not be in corporate but whatever your nine to five is and that's a real challenge because when you do have a passion and you want to give it your all and it's on your mind and you're excited about it and that's what your driver is it's really hard to give your attention to something that maybe you're not as passionate about. And if anything, you're actually desensitized with and you're unhappy with. And that's the integration that a lot of my clients struggle with. And I think that's what a lot of people are struggling with, even if you don't have a side hustle or a business, because the work and the home boundaries are so much more blurred. They were kind of getting blurred anyway. I mean, I, I remember younger before, listen, I was raised on the internet, but it became so much more powerful as I got older. I, and I'm kind of at an age where I remember before it and after I might yeah. be like the last, I might, I'm Gen X, so I might be the last vestige of that person who could still yeah. dial the rotary phone, but I know how to use mm -hmm. the internet. I remember when I first started working, I mean, you know, if you punched out at five o'clock, you didn't go home and check emails. You weren't working, you know, you didn't get phone calls at home. And I remember a big change really fast with all that, because just even if you worked in any kind of management or something, it'd be, you could be on vacation and people could reach you. You know, if you were gone, you were gone at one point and we were mm -hmm. having trouble unplugging. In that way, I think the lines were kind of blurred. But I think it's it's nice to see that people are almost trying to go backwards to what it was, like trying to, to create some kind of separation, I think, when you talk about the yeah. – I like that you said integration. Of that. Yeah, definitely. And that's where boundaries come into it. It's about being clear about what your commitments are and what your priorities are. And when you're clear about those things, you can you can more easily see where the lines are being crossed. Why are boundaries so difficult for some people? Because A, people don't know what they necessarily need to look like for them. And then B, even if they do, we've been conditioned and raised with a subconscious tendency to people please, to submit to other people, to obey authority far more than is necessary. And once it boundaries are the kind of thing that like grow over time and they and they compound. The more you honour them, the better you get. But the more you dishonour them, the more the boundaries blur. So let's just say, for example, um, you start a new job, you want to impress, and you are asked to take on a project that's slightly outside of your scope, but you want to you want to make a good impression and you want to um, show you're willing and you want to get in the boss's good books. So you say yes. And you do such a good job, you get praise um you get recognized and so the next time that happens 
you're like, okay, great, this is another opportunity to do that. But now you're staying at work another hour later, and now you're extra keen to check your emails on the weekend, and it's date night, but you just want to see what that email says. And when you dishonor your boundary and you give away that power, um, the more frequently you do it, the more normalized it becomes. And that's why the next time people don't even realize the boundary has been blurred because, um, because it's become a norm. And you see that with, I mean, we've seen it with the pandemic on a global scale. We saw it with, you know, it's only going to be a two week lockdown. Yeah. And two months later, people are like, oh, okay, and you just submit to it. But if that was the original plan, people would have gone, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not happy with this. But because these things tend to be incremental and they're coming from people in positions of power, whether that's your immediate boss, the government, system, whatever, we, we don't, we're not always as ready to say no. And there's been so many psychological studies about our willingness to submit to authority figures and in a work environment that's that's really accentuated and people don't know how to necessarily stand up to their bosses they don't know how to to say no and the reason why that's hard is because if you think about it like since we've been kids we've been conditioned to respect our teachers to be under someone else's regime from the age of four all the way onwards when we go to school and these things are instilled in our subconscious and in our psyche. So it plays out in the corporate world and it plays out in your adult life. And so that's why people wake up one day and they go, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. I'm working all the hours God send. I don't know how to say no. I'm always on. And part of it is a systemic problem. Part of it is individuals not knowing how to, to take back their power and, and implement what's healthy for them at the end of the day. Yeah, I definitely grew up with with an issue with that. And I used to uh, have a lot of trouble saying no to, to anything. And it was like that, you know, I'd stay late to work or, or do whatever. But just saying no was hard. But what happens is it, it becomes it, it kind of becomes something where I'm sorry, not saying no, I've been saying yes, but it becomes you want to you want to set boundaries, but you don't know how to anymore. And you almost overcompensate. Now, now I'm saying no to everything. And I look like, oh, I look like a jerk and this and that. And it takes a long time to try to figure out what those boundaries are once you, once you've lost them. Yeah, you're right. And one of the things that's um, really interesting is when you're, when you're re-implementing a new habit, mm-hmm. and this is definitely something that I think is valuable when it comes to so many areas of life, whether it's habit forming, diet, exercise, or things like boundaries, like saying no, or saying yes, if if it's the adverse of your problem, it helps to have a bit of a shock to the system, it helps to really recalibrate at a new level, because our nervous system and our psyche will always default to what it knows, it always defaults to the most basic of, of its uh, routines and its habits. So if you're trying to implement a change, you can do it in two ways. You can do it through stacking, which is, um, this isn't my idea. This is from, um, there's a book called Atomic Habits. I forget who the author is. Um, I think it's James Clear who details it really, really well. But when you layer a, a habit on onto an existing one, it allows you to implement that habit and make it a natural part of your routine. Um but sometimes when it, especially with things like boundaries and it comes to saying no, that's not necessarily something like that's routine led. That's more of a subconscious kind of people pleasing thing. So it helps in that instance to almost just practice getting comfortable and allowing your nervous system to get comfortable with saying no to everything. You might, you won't do that forever, but do it for a month, even three months, ideally, and then reintroduce when you want to say yes, because then you're comfortable with saying no. So when you do say yes and you're reintroducing that contrast, it's because it's on your terms, not because you're people pleasing. So that's that's a really powerful way to to try and implement them if it's something that you've not done before. Yeah, that's something that's hard because it's there's an emotional attachment to that as, as well as a psychological, but there's an emotional component to it. That's what causes, I guess, the... the um, the anxiety, if you want to call it the fear of saying mm-hmm. no to someone. So it's something where you have to be very mindful and you have to practice some kind of mindfulness for that as far as what you're talking about as, as far as changing habits. It's 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 almost exhausting to do. 
because it's something yeah. you have to constantly remind yourself of. Yes. And you know what? You've raised an excellent point there because people think mindset is just your thoughts. And when you don't factor in the impact that it's having on your physiology and your your emotional state, and your emotional state is what is influencing your nervous system and your vagus nerve, which is your physical response to situations, then you're missing out a vital part because it's not as simple as just having the script and it's not as simple as just having the words because people know the words. The word is no. It's a really simple word. What's challenging is all of the emotional baggage that comes with it. And the reason that's challenging is because our emotions are triggered at like 20 times the, the rate that our thoughts are. Our emotions happen faster than our thoughts. Our subconscious happens faster than our thoughts. That's why it's exhausting, because when you're trying to think of a new thought, you're trying to use your prefrontal cortex, which means you're trying to use your human brain which is a lot slower than your subconscious brain. Your subconscious has not only been practicing this people-pleasing tendency for decades, and so it's doing it on autopilot. You're now having to override your nervous system and say, I know this makes you feel anxious. I know this is uncomfortable. I know your palms are sweating. You're getting a bit, you're getting a bit uncomfortable sat here. But saying no is what it's going to take to get used to that. And then it's knowing how to regulate your nervous system, reparent yourself, give yourself the self-love, the self-care, the mindfulness, the practices that then allow you to, to look after yourself and your body and your physiology so that it becomes more comfortable and you're retraining your subconscious and your nervous system to go, you're safe, it's okay. And after a while, you'll realize that you don't feel as nervous when you say no, or when you say, I'm not available today, but I can help you another time. So yeah, you've hit on a really important point there. Yeah, well, you know what? And that's very interesting you say that because it is the feeling that comes first before you can think about what you're actually wanting to say, right? You, the feeling is there. So I like that whole subconscious level thing. And you're right. And I've talked about it many times now on this show, so people are going to get sick of it. But I always think it's the subconscious thing comes from a lot of it anyway comes from your youth you know and and i think you learn you're too young to really understand your own emotions at that point and i mm -hmm. think you learn your self-defense mechanisms there but that just stays with you until you try to reprogram that but yeah. you're always going to do whatever you did that made you feel safe at that point in your life whether it was five years old no matter what it, and I'm, i call it trauma because that's that's how your body experienced it. it doesn't matter what it was just it could have been something as little you just didn't get what you needed from a parent or something yeah. or big but you're really just you're always battling that safety i guess you felt that something that just made you feel safer in that moment and it takes yeah. it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of reprogramming but that's why you know you're always going back to your youth with that kind of stuff yeah. unless you have a trauma when you're older and that's something totally separate that develops but but i always i always found that very interesting that we always have to figure out a way to go back because there's somewhere we learn that mm, you're exactly right and i think people don't give themselves enough compassion and mm -hmm. self-love when they're realizing those things because our parents always did the best they could with what they had available to them and what they had available to them might seem like more from a material perspective um, and even if it isn't, but what what people really mean when you see, when you hear that phrase is like they did the best they could with their own subconscious programming and their own triggers. And as you say, like trauma is anything the nervous system can't handle. So you you get the if you were to see a therapist, for example, there is a certain criteria of what qualifies as an official trigger um, in in the world of therapy. Um, but in coaching, we, or I certainly determine it as, as anything the nervous system can't handle. And the reason why that's so important to identify is that you may well have had a lovely upbringing. Many of my clients have come from privileged backgrounds, um, some from very wealthy backgrounds, um, others not so much, just normal working class parents um, or whatever their version of family is with nothing particularly traumatic or, or challenging happening to them. But they grow up with these 
tendencies such as codependency or people pleasing or fear of failure or fear of judgment and this is very normal and I'm yet to meet a single person that doesn't have some element of that in their own life yeah I would agree that's why when I say the word trauma I don't well I think that's something too when you say people don't give themselves enough credit somebody who comes from what they would consider a decent background or you know, there's a lot of people who think they don't deserve to feel a certain way they do because maybe somebody right. else had it worse. But if it affected you, it affected you in a certain way, and it's still something you you have to deal with. You know, It's not something you could say, well, somebody else had a lot worse, so I need to just buck up and move forward. But I think a lot <laughs> of people uh, – I think a lot of people oh, just end up pushing it aside that way. That's how they rationalize it. Yeah. Especially if you're in, uh, you come from a well-off situation, or and it's interesting you said yeah. the fear of judgment because I think a lot of people who are well-off probably have a fear of that judgment too, that they come from a, a background that they're supposed to succeed in, or they've been given an advantage, and, and yeah, well, being well-off is definitely um, a perspective. It's an opinion at the end of the day because I've as, depends from what, what standpoint you're coming from. So some people come to me and. It, their salary, their economic status, their possessions. You know, there's so many, ver- like to who, to what scale are you comparing somebody to determine if they're well off or not? And you're right, people often say, oh, but, you know, it's not that bad or at least at least it wasn't this serious. And it's like, well, like you say, you're absolutely right with that. It, it's about how it's affecting you. And if you have desires and goals and ambitions that you're not going for, you're not achieving for some reason, then that's a good enough reason for us to have a look into it and understand where it's coming from, how it's holding you back and how to make you, how to help you push forward. I want to backtrack on something. So I know you have clients all over, I guess, all over the world. Are the problems the same, whether it's an American or somebody from New Zealand or Australia or somebody in the Middle East? Do you find the problems are intuitively the same? between all those yeah. people and cultures? Yeah. 100%. The context differs, um, definitely. But the the core fundamental challenge is is a human challenge at the end of the day. So that is universal. It's existential usually is what you're saying? That's I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So how does – I guess it's different for everybody, but how do you help someone find what the purpose is or what their purpose is? Like, how do you get to that point? Because it's different for everybody. Yeah, of course. And that's why they don't come to me for me to tell them. They come to me to have the container in which to discover it for themselves. And I think that's the thing. So everybody knows what they want. They don't always acknowledge it. They're not always aware of it. They're not always willing to go for it, even if they do know what that looks like. And depending on what level you are with that, it's for some, it's I'm just unhappy and I need to figure out how to get out of that. So the the, the driver is the, the push. But for many, it's the pull. It's I'm being drawn to something. I keep coming back to this idea. Um, so many, one of my programs is career change programs specifically uh, to help people figure out what they want to do from a career perspective. And purpose is not only your career, I just want to add, but in the context of being able to purchase food and shelter, which unfortunately, as a species, we've somehow made that something that's reliant on the economy, which is just crazy, but we are uh, where we are. Uh, yeah, I have opinions on that too. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but from a, even a career perspective, um, I'm yet to have, I mean, I've had a hundred percent success rate, which means somebody, some, somewhere within them, there is, a, there is a knowing. And if there's a pull factor, it either looks like there's either certain qualities or skills or values that I'm, that I know are true to me, but I don't know what that looks like in terms of a career. And so that's, kind of crafting it and creating it for others it's I have a dream and I don't know how to create the steps to get there and so that's how you pursue that for others it I mean the I suppose the common denominator through all of all of the different challenges that people have with finding their purpose is that there's a disconnect with themselves and who they are and what they 
enjoy what they love, what they're skilled at, what they can be rewarded for, what the world needs. There's a beautiful framework called Ikigai, which I use in all of my programs. You know it? I do, yeah. I went on this crazy, um, I don't want to say crazy, I went on a journey a few years back. I started really getting into all different types of philosophies and, and stuff. So, yeah, it was it was something I look into. But you can go ahead and explain it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful framework. And when I first came across it, I I loved it. And I've turned it into a framework that I use in my programs. And I'm sure you're familiar with it, but the Western translation of Ikigai is reason for being or reason for getting out of bed in the morning. And there is a framework that's it's like a Venn diagram and it and it basically combines the four components of what you can what you love what you can be rewarded for what you can be what the world needs and what you're skilled at I think the challenge that people go through is that they're acutely aware of these things but they don't give themselves the time to really sit down and do the work Mm. and it's available to anyone. I could give you a book right now to go read and, and figure it out. And yeah. there's so much free content out there. There's there's YouTube, there's Instagram accounts. If you actually dissected everything that I'd ever shared, even in the short two years I've been doing this, you could easily even exceed my what, what I've managed to achieve in that time. And it's it's so readily available. It's it's a it's a free market economy at the moment. Like yeah. knowledge is so easy to obtain. What the challenge is, is people don't have a the t- or they don't think they have the time, the application, and then it's the commitment and the consistency towards re- reaching those goals. And so that's why someone like a coach is really helpful because it helps you put that framework into application. Yeah. But the Ikigai framework is is one that I discovered quite early on on this journey and I love it and I use it in all my program even my business program even when the client is clear on what their business is what their goals are I still refer to that framework as a grounding to keep them to keep them connected to their purpose so that every goal they are working towards is moving the needle in a way that meets their greater purpose and it's it's a powerful powerful framework it is. you know what because I think you know the economy obviously you have to be a part of this thing whatever it is if you if you want to live you have to live within what the world is you know that's that's yeah. just a reality <laughs> but human beings we really kind of go against nature what's natural yeah right i mean it's such a whenever i think about money and things like that it's just it's such an unnatural i understand the idea and the concept behind something like that you know you, for society, this is what we value what you're doing at. But then the scale of the economy is so messed up. <laughs> you know, like a school teacher will make forty thousand dollars, a baseball player will make in America will make forty million. And mm. it's just how did it get to that point? But it's so against when you look at nature, it's just it's so against it. You know, we live outside of it. It's just very strange to me. But most people don't yes. even realize that. And I think I think they realize it internally or subconsciously, and I think that causes the the stress and some of the anxiety. But I know a lot of people don't sit and think about that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it it definitely depends on the circles you're in, because I used to ask these questions all the time. I'd, I'd lose myself in the wonders of the universe and the scale of everything and how everything connects. Um, Now I'm, I guess, doing this work has allowed me to connect with like-minded people, but I used to feel so alone um, in in wondering this and asking those questions. And I think if if you're listening to this podcast, if you're if you're engaged in this conversation, then it's probably because you're connecting to some of these ideas as well. And my advice to anyone that's that's curious is is to explore that because it's like a coming home. When you can reconnect to nature, you reconnect to to the the universality of everything Mm. like the universe is universal like there's a connection we're not separate we're not individuals I may be named by Pamela you may be Jay but really the the energy is all part of one beautiful complex system and scientifically proven like energy cannot be destroyed it can only be transformed and so 
when we can connect to some of these universal truths that are scientifically proven. So some people say to me, oh, spirituality is a bit woo-woo or a bit out there. It's like, no, it's quantum physics. It's it's yeah. scientific. No, I, I, think it's, I think they're coming to grips with it, finding the scientific in that. You know, there is definitely causality between all of this stuff. And I think what used to be more hokey, there's there's always going to be the people who are like, oh, it sounds like it's hokey and it sounds like you're getting me into like some kind of cultish idea or something like that. But listen, I, like, I'm a believer in karma and I don't even mean that as a – I don't even want to say in a spiritual sense. But I think, listen, if you treat people badly, you're probably going to get treated badly back. And that, to me, yeah. is karma. If you're good to people, most people will be good to you. And that there's nothing – I don't think there's anything hokey about that. I think that's just <laughs> an absolute truth. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that there's these universal um, experiences that are, aren't really quantifiable, such as karma. And yet, across cultures, it's, it's agreed upon. Even when you look at religion, in all the many forms that it, it shows itself, the the core message tends to be very very similar and that's not that's not a surprise like people coming from different countries different cultures different backgrounds there's a unit there is a universal truth and it just depends what lens you want to see it through and what lens you connect to it there's no right or wrong it's it's what calls to you i suppose yeah no i i agree with you i think of somebody said it once about religion and whether you have it or not. So if, if you have it, the word was religion. Religion is just the language you talk to God. And that's it. So I always thought that was really, I really wish I remember who said it, but I always thought it was a, it was a, a beautiful way to say it. And then, but even if you don't believe in a God or anything, I mean, there's still a universe and there's still nature. And when we talk about nature, I always think it's interesting because when people think about nature, they think about going into the woods or going by the river, but nature is inside, right? I mean, it's, you're connected Mm -hmm. to everything, you know, whether you're in a city or walking through the forest, nature is inside of you. It's funny that people sometimes cut off that connection because that's, that's exactly where it is. It's just, it's always within us. Yeah. You know, you got into the energies, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't look anything up because I wanted you to explain feminine and masculine energies, because it's something I don't really know (laughs) anything about. Yeah, um, well, this is, this isn't a science, to be fair. This is just a methodology um, that I quite enjoy working with in my coaching and just in my own personal life and how I move through life. So uh, masculine and feminine isn't referring to gender um, orientation um it's it's referring to uh, in in other cultures you might know of like yin and yang the complementary opposites that together make the whole and masculine and feminine is an example of that so um if you think of masculine you probably think of structure of strength um of power and if you think of feminine you might think of words such as flow and um, freedom and softness. And so those complementary opposites uh, live within all of us. And some of us may have tendencies to be more one way or the other. But often, whenever we have an extreme of, of anything, we need to bring back some equilibrium. So reconnecting to the opposite is, is what allows more, more equilibrium in our lives. So for example, let's see, there's so many ways that I can give an example of this, but maybe uh, maybe you're starting a business and you are, you're all about the systems and the process and you're really focused on the funnels and the technology and I guess these masculine traits. It might be that you're lacking in creativity. In um, You might be so rigid that it doesn't allow for opportunity to come in and surprise you. It might be that it restricts you in terms of doing something that's slightly outside of your of your structure or your plan. But it could be it could be the thing that just really makes it pop off and be really exciting, or it might open up opportunities for for new clients or new products or new services. 
So that's an example in business where too much structure can be a bad thing. But adversely, if you have no structure, if you're just like, oh, I just I'm not going to have any hours. I'm just going to do it whenever I feel like it. I'm just going to rely on motivation. I'm just going to focus on the flow and what feels good. Well, what happens when you don't feel good? Because life is 50-50. It's always going to be things are always going to happen. What happens when somebody needs a bit of consistency and they say to you, like, what's happening? What are my expectations? When can I expect to hear from you? And there's no parameters in place. So, again, if you have too much feminine, that can be that can be destructive because there's nowhere for it to go. A beautiful analogy that I give to my clients is even a riverbed. The riverbed itself is the masculine, but the water within that riverbed is is the feminine. And the interesting thing is, is that a lot of my female clients, especially, they say, oh, but the structure is restrictive. And I remind them that in, a, in, a, in the riverbed, it's actually the water that shapes the path, not, not the riverbed itself. If you've ever had a storm and there's ever been a flood, you'll see the water is what carves the path. So structure is, is important. It's a blueprint, but it's the creativity that that allows it to be in existence. Like if you think about a building, if an artist went to an architect and said, I have an idea, it starts with the idea, not with the blueprint. So it's it's the feminine that tends to come first. It's the creation that comes first and then comes the structure. And when it's not so much about the order, like chicken and egg, it's not a problem either way, but it's about having the balance in your life and how you approach anything. And even in a relationship, and especially when it comes to organizations or a partnership or an actual romantic relationship, naturally, when you bring people into the equation, you've then got the dynamic and complexity of two whole beings with their own version of masculine and feminine. And you've probably had friends or colleagues or a partner who is always like, I want to do this. This is the plan. We follow me or whatever. Or maybe you're that person and everyone just goes along with what you want to do. Yeah. Have you ever had that? Oh, I'm the follower. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm the follower. <laughs> I'm the person. I'm very laid back with certain things, you know, like as far as sure. then there's some things I'm just I'm extremely I guess I have some structure, but there's some things I just have no structure. I've done, I've definitely done it both ways. You know, I've done it where I've tried to be freewheeling and, you know, I'll just go with it. And then I've had it where I'm just, you know, way, way too, I try to be way too organized. I have a little bit of a a perfectionist issue though. So, so I think sometimes my willy nilly is more, that might be avoidance sometimes. And then I could be overstructured where it's too, like it took me forever to start a podcast. I mean, I must have done looked at it for a year because it, it would, if it wasn't going to be perfect, it wasn't worth doing, you know. And then eventually, right. I realized I'm going to make mistakes, and I might sound, I might not sound so great sometimes, but I have to get through that. That's exactly it. Like we have to fail forward because yeah. that's the only way that you learn. And it's interesting because it doesn't look the same for everyone. So even with a perfectionist, like you say, and the fear of getting it wrong, that can either be because your feminine energy is like, oh, it has to be creatively so perfect that I can't start otherwise. And therefore having some masculine structure would have helped like, right, let's do a deadline then. That would that may have been able to be the balance to give you some kind of progress and momentum. Adversely, if it was, oh, the tech has to be right and, um, and you wanted all the systems in place, but you hadn't thought about what the vision was or what the topics were going to be or the creation that was going to go into that, then it's a case of, again, it's it's like, okay, well, how can you collaborate? How can you, how can you celebrate that side of yourself more and bring that into the fold? So it's just another framework, one of many frameworks that we use, but it's an interesting one because sometimes it allows people to connect to, to parts of themselves that they neglect Mm-hmm. and bring in a new way of thinking and doing, which often allows momentum and allows you to move the needle. Yeah, I was always better with a deadline and not a self-imposed right. one. <laughs> I like other people's deadlines. Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, it's different when it's when you're dealing with, let's say, an organization or even dealing with another person and you have a deadline. I don't know what it is, but let's just say anything. Because you, you do have this fear of letting them down. 
as opposed to yourself, you can rationalize and make it. Yeah, I don't have the time to do this, and I don't. Maybe I'm not that good at that, or you know, something like that. But you don't really have that with other people. At least I don't. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And you're right, people don't. I mean, I don't. I'm, I say, and just as a caveat here, I say all of this. I am not perfect. Like, there is, I have a coach too. Like, I'm constantly working on these, on my version of the, these problems all the time. And I'm just better at noticing now when, well, why is it okay to let some, to not let someone else down, but let myself down? Yeah. And it's, it's noticing like the louder you or the more, um, I guess, practiced you are at challenging yourself and noticing when that inner voice and that inner critic is stopping you. Because sometimes it can happen, you don't even notice. And that's not a problem. Like, that's it's human at the end of the day. Uh, but when you can start getting practice at noticing it and going, okay, I see you now, but who's in charge here? Who's in the driver's seat? Because my goals Oh, well, I want to go. And that means I need to be on the on the driver's seat and my inner critic can sit in the passenger seat or even in the back. And in time, it can go in the boot. And in time, it can just not be in the car with you until you meet a new challenge and you have a new goal and all of the, all of the fears and doubts come back again. I think this is something that a lot of, especially business owners and, and really ambitious professionals say to me is that, they say, will I ever be rid of this inner critic? Will it ever go away? And I say to them, look, in reality... Maybe not, because with every new height that we grow, we have to dig deeper. And the deeper we go, the more there is to break through. So I always give this analogy of like, you're like a tree. You're a baby tree to begin with, and your branches are pretty small, but that also means your roots are pretty shallow. But the bigger your dreams, the bigger your goals, the bigger the stakes, the deeper your roots have to go. So sure, you may have been able to overcome certain challenges or fear of failure or that perfectionism, but now you're hitting new levels of soil. That soil might be harder. It might be rockier. It might be scarier because yeah. the goals are that much bigger. But now you're more practiced at determining who's in charge and who's going to be driving those goals forward. Is it going to be your inner critic? Or is it the version of you that believes in yourself, that backs yourself, that decides that your goals are worth more than your fears? And when you can start listening to that voice more frequently, and as we said at the very beginning, giving yourself that love and compassion, your nervous system, when it's freaking out and the heart's racing, you're thinking, oh my God, am I really going to do this? You know how to, how to reparent yourself and give yourself that love and compassion. Yeah. You know, I, I found moving forward for me, what I did to kind of um, just get over that was I, I will listen back and I... I have an inner critic and what I do is I say, okay, I want to work on this next time. And then it gets, it, you know what? And from listening to my first one to this, it's, it, there's definitely a huge difference. I just, I try to, I try to make it constructive instead of, you know, destructive. <laughs> I blow the whole thing yeah. up, you know? So I know what you mean. It's like finding what works for you in that way. Cause, cause like you said, I, I don't think you can get rid of it in all honesty and it's always there. And, Human beings tend to fall back on what they know, you know. So when when we fall, we tend to fall back into a pattern that we had yeah. previously, because that exactly. was our, that was our protection or our safety. Yeah. So some of the work that we do to really go into that is I've mentioned the word reparenting a few times. There's some really powerful um, like neurolinguistic programming techniques that mm -hmm. allow you to to go back and heal that subconscious. I'm sure you've heard of hypnotherapy, like that's another format in which you can go back into those original memories and almost rewire them so that you literally view them through a different lens. And when you start doing work around self-concept, you can elevate your self-concept. So your new default becomes a little bit more productive than it did at the very beginning, because that's how you, that's how you hold space. There's, there's a classic question that goes around. I stay on LinkedIn periodically every few months and someone always says like, oh, if you could be given a million pounds or earn a million pounds, which would you prefer? And, you know, generally it's a 50-50 response. Um, what would what would you be your response before I carry on? See, I might, I might take the money and then just do things I want to do. <laughs> you know, I, I know that's, yeah. I, that sounds kind of terrible, but. Yeah. I, well, I guess it, it depends on how I'm earning it. This comes down to how I view money in the world. I earn money. I have a house. I do, you know, I have my responsibility. But when I look at things on a deep level, I, 
that's where I don't understand how we got to a point where money is such because money is the driving force in the world, right? Even when you're looking at, at war and all this stuff, it's all it all comes down to resources and money. Money is an interesting one. I see money as it only emphasizes what's already there. Like war existed way before money did. It just accentuates and elevates the stakes and the impact. Yeah. Um, if you if you made someone a millionaire right now, it, it wouldn't change them. It would just show more of who they already are. And unfortunately, war did exist way before, way before money did. Money is just a universal exchange of, of goods and services. So it just allows, in such a global environment, it just allows easier exchange of that. Um, what's interesting is, is that, I mean, let's say money is maybe a, a tough example and it's loaded for you. But if if you could just be given everything you ever wanted right now, done, would you want it or would you want to earn it? All right. I would rather earn it because then I would feel some kind of attachment and pride to it. Right. So money, money is is just money is just a, a thing. It, it's 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 an energy, but it's also just a material like it's it's not the point the point is what would you do with that money and you're right i think and again this is just my view obviously it's not the universal view but my stance on it is if you gave somebody everything they ever wanted like that job done like a genie in a wand in a, in a lamp most people like the idea of it but then comes in all of the but who am i to have this right everyone's judge me what if I lose it all what if I don't keep it what if it changes me whereas if you earn it you don't suddenly reach your goals and go oh my god it's happening I mean you have those moments that's called gratitude but when you've elevated your self-concept and every new step towards that goal is part of who you are then when you get there you're less likely to lose it because it is who you are and that's a really powerful thing see if I get back to money, where I find mm-hmm. it interesting is we're talking about energy and then we're talking about – if you want to talk about belief, that's where money is a funny concept to me because it's really just backed by the belief it's worth something and that's what gives it its power. Yeah. And it's just – it's funny to me to think – and I swear to you, I'm not one of those people who's like, we should all live. I, I get, I understand the concept of having a job and I understand society, working within a society and thing and, and that framework. But if one day everybody just decided it didn't have any power over us, it wouldn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just funny to think you could put energy into something like that and, and that it's so... I think it's the most powerful thing in the world because it's, it doesn't really exist. It only exists in our mind. I mean, there, listen, there's there's paper and there's credit cards and, and things we can see visually, but it only exists in our mind. Yeah, but and, so does the law because it's a well, collective agreement. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's so much of, logic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right. It is. It's a collective agreement that humans have, have universally agreed to adhere to and it does there's not many books that have come across they acknowledge that there's not many that have effectively been able to like predict or hypothesize what it would look like if we could eliminate that um and what the exchange would that would therefore need to be but it is a fascinating yeah it is fascinating i completely agree with you Mm. but in in the topic of what that means for people because money is loaded people have a lot of feelings about money but when you give people money or money or people acquire money, it normally accentuates what they already have. Yeah, that's probably true. I would agree with that. Yeah. But I guess that's why you probably talk to people who have acquired money or hit the the pinnacle, but they're, they're still looking to you to guide them because internally they're not, they're not happy still, even though they've hit, they might've made their financial goals or maybe even you, you want to do, you were happier being a coach and having some connection with people than what you were doing before, even though you might have enjoyed it before. Yeah, absolutely. That I think it's even something I've got on my website somewhere. Like you could, I've worked with people. I just be fair. I don't know what salary my clients earn right now. It's not something I ask, right. but I know for a fact in my previous career, you, I could work with people that were, you know, 
and new entrants to the to the career market. So anything from like 20k in English up to 200k. And to be honest, when I was in-house in human resources, the salaries far exceeded that too. Mm. But when people came to me looking for for help and the challenges that they had, the challenges are universal. It is, I'm unhappy and I want more and I'm not living to my values and I want to be fulfilled and I want to be rewarded. I want to do something I love and I want to do something I'm good at. And I want to feel like it means something. And all of those things connect to Ikigai, which I shared earlier, um, to your purpose. Like it all, it all connects back to that. Yeah. Well, values is a hard one too, because I think a lot of people don't have their own set of values. You're raised with values and then you usually raise on whatever your parents' values are, I guess, or whoever raises you or whatever community you're in. But values is kind of different for everybody. And I think sometimes people don't know their values. I think that causes a lot of issues too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Values is a really interesting one. There's different ways that you can look at values as well. I think whether or not people are conscious of it, they are living to their values. And when their values are like violated or they're not being honored, they they certainly do know it. What's interesting is a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, I've been thinking about leaving my job for months now, even years. I've not been happy. And it's and you think, why? Why would you stay in something you clearly don't like and it's causing you pain? But they value security more than their own fulfillment. So when you really look at people's values, the way they're living their life gives clues because people do commit. Well, they commit to what they know and people are unconscious. They're, they're not, people aren't always aware, like you say. But when you start to bring those things into the limelight, it makes you think, oh, OK, actually, well, it's interesting that I do prioritize where I spend my money. All my money goes on holidays or all my money goes on horse riding or all my money goes on collectibles for vinyls like your value where you're it's, it's interesting actually that we've been talking about money today so i know that wasn't the plan yeah. but where people spend their money is normally an indicator of what they truly value whether they like it or not and if you really highlight it to people and go okay well it looks like your life is prioritizing these things because that's where you spend your money that's where you spend your time that's where you spend your energy and then people go oh Oh, I'm, I don't like what I see. And that's when you can start going, okay, well, what do you want to change? What would fulfill you? And that's your opportunity to pivot. That's an interesting way to look at it. Never thought of it that way. Because you're right. That's what you earned. You're putting what you earned towards something, whether you're doing it consciously or not. And then it's, well, I don't really like what I'm putting it towards. It's another form mm-hmm. of energy, I guess. Right? Yeah, exactly. So what's your plans in the future? I know you're in you're in New Zealand now. Are you planning? Yeah. Do you have a plan? Or are you just going to keep traveling and going back home? What are you doing? Good question. <laughs> Which means no, I don't have a plan. Um, there is a, there's a slight plan. So we're going to go to Australia next. We've got about three weeks, four weeks left in New Zealand. And then, um, then we'll be in Australia uh, there's a few things that are bringing me back to England, um, my brother's wedding, my best friend's wedding. So there'll be a couple of trips back to the UK. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's the next chapters kind of outlined. Um, but beyond that, it's anyone's guess. Gotcha. You ever been to, to my side of the world? You've been to America. Where's your side of the world? I'm in yeah. America. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts right in America are you? I'm a stone i'm in new jersey but i'm i'm like a stone throw from new york city I just uh, yes you said yeah. it yeah so been to new york i've been actually i've been to the east and west coast but okay. not done it extensively so um yeah that's more of a holiday destination than, yeah. a, than a list but well i want to thank you for doing this with me and it was a great talk i, I actually i got a lot out of it so i appreciate it and i hope everybody listening does too do you want to uh, plug yourself real quick where they can, where people mm. can find you? And that would be awesome. Yeah. So if you want to find me, uh, you can just search coaching with Pamela and that's Pamela with two L's. Um, that's my Instagram handle, my website, my Facebook. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn, it's just Pamela Pritchard. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for doing it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a great chat. Cheers.
Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape the wild for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon.